0: Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall defend your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, If there is anything praiseworthy, meditate, think, or be occupied with these things. And the things that you have learned, received, heard, and saw in me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faith, faith being the content of what we believe, goodness, and self-control. These two passages uh, pretty much help us evaluate our thoughts and our lives, our production in the the spiritual life. That's where we should uh, reside. I think that's very important for us to have those verses at our fingertips uh, throughout the day. Let's take a few seconds for spiritual preparation, closing our eyes, bowing our heads, and then I will open us in prayer. Generally, Father, we're thankful for uh, your answered prayer. We're thankful for the success of Bill's operation, the fact that he was able to join us for a brief time tonight. We pray as he heads home to um, uh, rest and find maybe a little more comfortable position, that he'll be able to continue to recover, and that uh, the surgery, uh, the results of the surgery, would be very positive. Continue to pray for uh, Kathy Haley and the results of the tests she's had just recently on her lungs. Pray that um, we'll, you know, she'll have those results and there is uh, some positive uh, movement in the uh, immune system and how it's uh, combating the the virus that she has. We pray tonight as we, Father, approach the Word of God in Zechariah, Zechariah 10. That even though we are uh, reading and studying about the future, a future time, we know, Father, that uh, what you are providing for Zachariah through God the Holy Spirit is an indication of your great faithfulness, your, uh, your character in providing for those who do belong to you and also providing us with the guidance that obedience brings blessing. And those who are unfaithful, those who, Father, are disobedient, we could say, that you take notice of that. And as the Bible says, you visit them with the results of your justice so we pray tonight that we'll have a better understanding of what we have in this passage in Zechariah 10 and we ask these things in Jesus name amen all right we are in Zechariah uh, we're in Zechariah 10 tonight we're looking at the prophecy of the coming king uh, truly because we have progressed in our our outline in our outline here to the part about the blessings of the king or the Messiah and we would probably know it better as the Messiah Uh, Israel is looking forward to uh, a future king who is in the line of David and uh, our historical background here is really important for us and the importance of that is that Israel had been disobedient, they'd been unfaithful and even though it was evident through uh, prophets beginning with Moses, that uh, unfaithfulness would bring judgment judgment to them, discipline. Uh, and that is precisely what happened to the northern kingdom. But the northern kingdom, apparently the example of the northern kingdom wasn't sufficient for the southern kingdom. And in 586, uh, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, destroyed the city and the temple and uh, took many captive back to Babylon well 70 years later as we have studied in Daniel we were able to see that uh, through Jeremiah that 70 years would pass and then the Lord would have a plan for them to return and that began with Cyrus and uh, we do have now in the books of Haggai and Zechariah That first element that has returned, Uh, we see Zerubbabel mentioned in uh, Zechariah, both Zerubbabel and also uh, Joshua, the high priest. And Zechariah is speaking to that group of people, those uh, Jews who are post-exilic returnees to the land and they're experiencing uh, many difficulties uh, reading Haggai that is where we see the difficulties that they're receiving or that they're experiencing uh, first of all uh, the land is still in famine which is an indication that they're still under discipline and then of course secondly uh, since the famine is there they're having great difficulty um, achieving any level of prosperity uh, however uh they are they have uh guidance and the guidance that they're supposed to have is to build the temple and they had of course uh refrained from doing that but uh both Haggai and Zechariah now have them back on track um, but Zechariah moves to a prediction t- for the future a prophecy for the future and uh last week we were studying in chapter 10 and we covered verses uh 1 through 5 and now we're ready for verses 6 through 12 and all of this is prophetic in verses 1 uh, beginning in verse 1 here we see ask the Lord for rain this is the provision of the Lord in the millennial uh, the millennial uh, kingdom um, and so it's a matter of them asking. I think I, I started these promises. And the first pro, the, that was the third promise. The first promise was the Lord would preserve Israel. The second promise was that the Lord promised to protect Israel in end time battle. And then finally here, point three, is the Lord promised to provide for Israel in the millennial kingdom. Uh, ask the Lord for rain. In the time of the latter rains, the Lord will make flashing, uh, flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. And then, as we begin verse two, we see our fourth point here is the Lord promised to purify Israel for the millennial kingdom. And this, our this, is found in chapter ten, verses two through five. And in verse two, we see the need for the purification because we see that they are still uh, worshiping or they have idols in their possessions and they are uh, uh, they are being affected by that for the idols speak delusion the diviners envision lies and tell false dreams they comfort in vain there is no comfort uh, in these idols therefore the people wander their way like sheep they're scattered but they're also afflicted they are in trouble because there is no shepherd. Afflicted. We're going to see this word "afflicted" used again in our passage, uh, verses six through twelve. Verse three: My anger, and this is a reference to God. My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the goat herders, the goat herds. And uh, goat herds here generally is referring to uh, the Gentiles who either are among them uh, pursuing the same type of idolatrous action or the nations that are uh, uh, oppressing them. For the Lord of hosts will visit his flock. And his flock here, of course, in the next phrase, is the house of Judah. And will make them, Judah, as his royal horse in battle, his majestic horse, This is a prediction, a prophecy of end times, uh, warfare, combat. And we studied this last week as we saw that here we see the seventh stage in the, uh, Armageddon campaign. Verse four. From him, and this is a reference to Judah, comes the cornerstone. Who is the cornerstone? The cornerstone is the Messiah. From him, again, Judah, or we could say Israel because I think it's a reference to both uh, the northern and southern kingdom because they will be unified at that time. From him comes Judah. The, the wall or the hanging peg. And I expressed that last week. that I believe that this is probably not a tent peg, although the word is used for both a uh, tent peg and a hanging peg or a wall peg. But this is the fact that the Messiah would be a secure place for Israel to be established. That's the sense of this. And then from him, the battle bow. And so the Messiah is this future weapon of war. He is going to wage war for them. And then the final line in verse 4 says, From him, every ruler together. And this is a rather cryptic phrase, and it's a little bit difficult to understand, but the word for ruler here is not used in the positive sense, rarely used in the positive sense. It's used from the standpoint of oppressor. And so from him, every oppressor and the sense here is that they're going to depart uh, when the Lord is fighting for Israel and Israel is able to uh, join the Lord in in warfare then these oppressors are going to depart from Israel five they Israel shall be like a like mighty men these are valiant warriors who tread down their enemies who trample their enemies in the mire of the streets in battle. That's what they're going to do. They're going to uh, tread them down. And finally, it says here, they shall fight because the Lord is with them and the riders on horses shall be put to shame. We, again, studied this last week and we see that this is part of the seventh stage of the angelic, uh, of the uh, Armageddon campaign where uh, the Lord is fighting against the uh, the Antichrist, and the Antichrist is defeated. Now, we're going to see here uh, the last promise of these five promises to Israel, and the Lord promised to regather Israel for the millennial kingdom, and that's where we find ourselves ourselves this evening in verses 6 through 12 the Lord promised to regather Israel for the millennial kingdom. Uh, Now, as we begin this, I need to one more time uh, remind you that there are theologians who read these verses and they see them as historical. They would say that, well, we believe that what we're describing here has already occurred, that it's not a prophecy and even though we read this in verse 6 and it says, I will, and we've seen this in other passages as well, that they will see this as having already occurred. As a matter of fact, many of them would say, we believe that this is uh, the return of the exiles to Israel. And so we would describe, they would describe it as a historical event, not an eschatological event. Well, Let me give you at least three. There are probably many reasons why we would uh, countermand that or believe that 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 position is not sound. But first of all, Zechariah is making this prediction of the regathering after the return from Babylon. So this is not a prophecy, nor would it be what we might call a prediction. It's certainly not something in the future because Zerubbabel has already brought with him a group of exiles. Now, more will return with Ezra later, but the numbers are not significant. And as we read this, um, we believe that we can tell that uh, this cannot be the event that Zechariah is foretelling, he's predicting, that he's forecasting. Uh, secondly, those returning to the land will comprise both the house of Judah and the house of Joseph. Look in uh, verse 6 says, I will strengthen the house of, jo- of Judah and I will save or deliver. I think a better word there for us is deliver. That keeps us from thinking soteriologically here. I will deliver the house of Joseph. Therefore, when he says the house of Judah and the house of Jodah, uh, Joseph, what that tells us is that we have two pieces here. And generally speaking, even though there's going to be times when Judah seems to represent both or represent all of Israel, uh, the terminology for Joseph doesn't or, or at least rarely is it considered to be that way. Joseph uh, is a consideration for the northern kingdom. Um, what we have here is Joseph would represent the northern ten tribes, mostly because the two sons of Joseph, Manasseh being the oldest and Ephraim being the youngest, of course Ephraim received the double blessing, but they were in the northern kingdom. And I believe that the phrase here, the term Joseph, refers to the northern kingdom. And uh, Zechariah is making it very clear that I will strengthen the house of Ju- Judah and I will strengthen the house of Joseph. That means that we have both the northern and the southern kingdom or we can say we have all 12 tribes. Well, the exiles who are returning are not Uh, are not part of the northern 12 tribes. They're just Judah. And the, um, the recovery is going to be mostly from Judah. And the northern tribes, while they will be reconstituted, it's going to take much longer. And we're still going to have Samaria filling much of the area of Ephraim and Manasseh is going to be across the river, a lot of it across or at least half the tribe across the river, and that's going to be uh, filled by Aram. So I don't think, for the second reason there, I don't think that Zechariah here is describing just the southern kingdom. He's describing the northern kingdom as well, and there's going to be a unification of land in the future, and that hasn't happened So the second reason, uh, uh, Zechariah is describing a unification of what we would call the monarchy. And that's not happening. Third, God promised to restore his people, not from Babylon, but from all of the countries. And we're going to see this from what we sometimes describe as the four corners of the earth. Therefore, that has not happened we still have Jews that are uh, widely dispersed. And today, we would probably say that about half of the Jewish population of the world is back in Israel. But uh, 50%, and we believe that it's probably a little more than 50%, is still um, scattered throughout the world. And therefore, this is not a historical event. This is still in the future. Okay. Now, uh, having studied last week the Armageddon campaign, we saw that that is the last half or the last part of the the tribulation. And we studied that in verses 3 through 5. Um, particularly, as I said, stage seven, which is the battle of the Lord as they come back out of Petra up towards Jerusalem. And maybe at the end here, if I have time, I'll review that. But uh, this regathering of Israel that we are seeing here in our point five, the Lord promised to regather Israel, seems to occur over a period of time. And as a matter of fact, if we look at... Um, prophecy in the Old Testament it appears that some of that may be ongoing now and that is the idea that Israel uh, that uh, a large number of Israels, a high percentage of them are back in the land now we're going to look at this and see that it's an unbelieving part but there is a requirement for them to be there so it's not as if we can say, well, uh, the Lord has not had a hand in this, when in fact it appears that there is stage setting for the end time. As we study these events of the end time, and that's a, can be a technical term and sometimes not so technical, but we need to distinguish between the different ways that the phrase is used, and I think Generally, we would say that the phrase end time comprises the term, first of all, the termination of the church age, which is the rapture. And it would also include the seven years of the tribulation. So if we're looking at someone saying the end times, we would say, well, the end time really begins when we have the rapture, because the rapture that bit of uh, prophecy being fulfilled, which is the only bit of prophecy that uh, we are anticipating, uh, when that's fulfilled, then we will see the clock beginning to tick again. So we say end times, we say the termination of the church age, which is the rapture. And then we have the seven years of the tribulation. We also would have the second advent, which is when the Lord returns to the, to the earth in power and glory, and then the millennium. And so that is how we would describe the end times. A more narrow and probably, we could say technical, uh, definition or description of the end time is viewed as the end of the tribulation and the beginning of the millennium. Uh, therefore that sort of brings the times of the Gentiles to an end and we begin the millennium and I'd rather as we go forward here retain the, the general overall understanding of the end time and I think that is what we're reading in Zechariah 10 this is all part of that uh, when we begin this uh, when we begi- uh, begin the study of Israel's regathering we are specifically reading about the time at the end of the tribulation and the beginning of the millennium. And uh, different theologians place the regathering differently. But there is there has to be a regathering of Israel uh, prior to the end of the tribulation, actually at the beginning of the tribulation. And then, of course, there's a... A miraculous regathering at the end of the tribulation and I think that we'll notice that and we have passages in both the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, that speak of the actual regathering and that it is occur that uh, a good segment of it occurs um, after the Lord returns and destroys the armies of the Antichrist and that's where we find ourselves in Zechariah ten six. It's after the destruction of the armies of the Antichrist. And I just wanted to make sure that we've kind of got these uh this period of time in hand. Uh, what I'd like to do, I mentioned something about Israel being back in the land, but not as a redeemed nation. Let's turn to Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah verse or chapter eleven. Isaiah chapter eleven verse chapter eleven verse eleven. Here we are. This is a great passage for us because it covers uh, our our passage tonight, but it also precedes our passage. And it says in verse 11, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. Now, when is this? It says, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover. The remnant of his people who are left. Well, this passage eleven eleven is referring to the millennium. This is when the Lord is going to uh, regather his people, and the way we know that is continue to read. It says from Assyria and Egypt. We're going to see that same phrase, the same terminology, in Zechariah ten six through twelve. Therefore. This is what we sometimes will call a millennial language. When we read this, we say, "Okay, I think I'm seeing language that I recognize that is descriptive of the millennium." From Pethoros and Cush, from Elam, from Elam, Elam, and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. Uh, I believe that when we read here from Assyria to Egypt, this is a figure of speech from the east to the west. Remember at the time of this writing, Assyria was the great empire to the east and to the north and even over uh, a good part of the Levant, which is the Middle East. And Egypt was a great empire that covered the south, uh, south and to the west because it not only had Egypt, but it had Libya, uh, Ethiopia. And what it's saying is essentially all in the East and all in the West. It's a figure of speech. It's a merism. And they just simply, uh, Isaiah just simply uses uh, Assyria and Egypt to kind of gather that all together. He doesn't try to say, uh, give us particular places in the, in the East and the North and the South and the West. Um, and then he adds these other places that are simply part of his, uh, what he's trying to express. Uh, verse 12 says, uh, He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And then verse 13, so there we have the four corners of the earth. Well, we don't have that happening. Now, today, we don't have uh, a recouping of the uh, of the Jews from all four corners of the earth. We essentially have it from Babylon. Um, that's all that occurred in Zechariah's day. And then you'll notice in verse thirteen, it says, "Also, the envy of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off." Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. So we have both the north and the south together again. They're going to have to get together. And I think that that's a very important passage for us. But the other thing that's important about this is that it says that the Lord is going to regather Israel Uh, to recover the remnant of his people who are left a second time. Well, when did the first time happen? And some people might say, well, could that have been the remnant coming out of of, uh, Babylon? Well, it doesn't appear that we really had a very significant group gathering. But if we want to say that, we can certainly say that Israel needs to be back in the land at the beginning of the millennium or the the beginning of the tribulation. Why? Because this gathering that begins the millennium is the second time. And I think the first time is what's ongoing now. What's ongoing now is that Israel is back in the land, they are a nation, and they are now ready... For the Antichrist who will come and sign the treaty with them. And you might ask me, well, where do you find that? Well, that's in Daniel 9. So let's turn to Daniel 9. Daniel 9 really tells us that we need a nation in the land of Israel before the tribulation commences. There has to be a nation there. So that would be the Lord regathering them and we don't see a miraculous regathering but because of the persecution and because of uh, the, uh, uh, the national and international policies, Israel has been reformed. The nation has been reformed. Now, we've studied Daniel 9, and it can be confusing, but I'm going to try to read through this with um, more or less just a very brief explanation of what we're doing. Remember that Daniel is written he's writing this passage probably sometime around 5, 530, 536, 535 with the return of Israel. Some would date at 515 because that's when the temple is finally rebuilt. But it's at the end of the 70 years and he has this vision vision that he's received and Gabriel is coming to explain to him what the vision means and it says verse 24 of Daniel 9 70 weeks are determined are decreed for your people and your people here would be Israel and for your holy city which is Jerusalem first of all then once we say that we're going to see six things need to occur or are going to occur First, to finish the transgression or to put an end to Israel's disobedience. So Israel is going to be be once more faithful or obedient. So we're going to have 70 weeks until that comes to a conclusion. And by the way, the 70 weeks gets us all the way to the end of the tribulation. So as we're reading this, you're thinking now, all right, 70 weeks, which is going to be 490 years because we understand them to be years. It's going to be 7 times 7. So we're going to have 70 times 7 to get 490 years. So at the end of this, we're going to be at the beginning of the millennium. So all of these things need to occur prior to the beginning of the millennium because it says here, uh, 70 weeks are determined we're going to finish this at the end of 70 weeks or 490 years to finish the trans it says to finish the transgression in other words put an end to the rebellion of Israel the disobedience to make an end of sins in other words Israel's uh, rejection we could even say their idolatry in worshiping other gods thirdly to make reconciliation for iniquity in other words atonement here and this would apply to an atonement. This would apply to Israel's sins. Atonement for their sins. And we're going to see in some of the passages we study tonight, particularly in Jeremiah, that there is an understanding that the nation is redeemed. Fourth, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Everlasting righteousness is going to be the millennial kingdom. Fifth, to seal up vision and prophecy. In other words, to fulfill All the prophecy that has been given over the years. And that's all the prophecy that will need, it will need to be fulfilled. And then sixth, and to anoint the most holy. And I believe this is a reference to the millennial temple. Which, I'm not the first and the only one to think that. That's pretty much standard. Therefore, all of that needs to happen. If we need to start from today and go till we have the millennial temple, well, we're going to cover all of the church age and then we're going to cover the uh, tribulational period and then boom, we're into the millennium and there's the millennial temple that's being rebuilt. Therefore, know and understand, so Gabriel says here, you are to know this, that from the going forth of the command or the decree, and we're going to see that this is de- the decree that... uh Artaxerxes gave for them to return to the land to uh, rebuild and we'll see what it says here rebuild the, the, uh, the walls to restore and rebuild Jerusalem and that happened in Nehemiah. Nehemiah 2 is where we find that decree and that's Artaxerxes saying all right Nebuchadnezzar Go back and restore Israel and restore those walls, and that's Nehemiah two one through eight. So it says uh, you therefore you you know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Israel and secondly until the anointed prince there shall be seven weeks and sixty two weeks. Now this gets can be uh, a bit confusing, but all we have to understand is that there 's two things happening there: the first thing is to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, and the second thing is until the Messiah, the prince okay well, the first thing occurs in what we believe is seven weeks, and the next thing the until the Messiah the prince happens in sixty two weeks so we add those two together and we get sixty nine weeks or 483 years which this tells us that the Jews returned and they rebuilt Jerusalem and they rebuilt the walls and they did that in the, the first part of this um, equation and it says the streets shall be built again and the wall, the wall there is probably better understood as the trench or the moat around the wall even in troubled times. So there's going to be troubled times, but they're going to get that done. And that, by the way, takes us up to the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, because until the Messiah, the Prince, and we could add to that, comes. But anyhow, that brings us right up to the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. That one verse covers all that period of time. And you'll notice then, verse 26, And after 62 weeks remember we had the 7 and then the 62 so after the second part, the 62 weeks, don't get confused here and say well wait a minute it's not 62, it's not It's 62, it's not 69, no the 7 occurred and then the 62 occurred, so when the second part there, the 62 weeks occur after the 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off And it says, but not for himself. But that's really a pretty poor translation. It says, and he shall have nothing. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah. He comes, presents himself as the Messiah. But Israel rejects him. He goes to the cross. He dies. He's buried. He's he's resurrected. And he ascends. And what has accomplished? Well, he's accomplished atonement. But the kingdom is not there. So he doesn't have the kingdom. And we believe that that's what that means. And uh, he, he has nothing. And then it says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, who is the people of the prince who is to come? Well, we believe that the, the people of the prince who are to come are the Romans. And the Romans in 70 AD destroy the city of Jerusalem. And we believe that that's what's being prophesied here in verse 26. So the Messiah is going to be cut off. The millennium has not been established. And the people, the Romans of the prince, the Antichrist who is to come, they shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, Jerusalem and the temple. And it says, the end, it shall come like a flood, meaning that it's going to be overwhelming. The Romans are coming, it's going to be overwhelming. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And that brings us, again, to the end of the 69 weeks, and we're waiting for the 70th week. And the 70th week is the tribulation. And now, and we've seen that in uh, Zechariah 10, the battles in verses 2 through 5 and we're looking at the millennium well why does there need to be a nation of Israel in the land at the end of the church age somehow it's got to be established doesn't necessarily need to be there at the end of the church age but it it has to be there in order to start the the, the tribulation why because verse 27 says then he and The antecedent for he is the prince uh, in verse 26. So then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with the many for one week. Well, who is that? Well, this is Israel. This is the nation of Israel. So the Antichrist is going to establish a treaty, a covenant with Israel for one week. And there has to be a nation in Israel for that to occur he shall confirm a covenant with the many for one week but in the middle of the week the middle of that seven year period that three and a half years he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering he's going to destroy the temple again he's going to uh, he may may not destroy it but he's certainly going to uh, defile it and so it can't be used and then it goes on to say, on the wing of abomination shall be the Antichrist who makes desolate the uh, the temple and the city even until the, consum- the consummation which is determined. Uh, the consummation here is probably the complete destruction which is determined. And that's the defeat of Satan the Antichrist uh, is poured out on the desolate, those who have been desolated. And that's... Uh, uh, the antichrist uh, so that's why we say that Israel needs to be back in the land a second time and the reason I tried to cover all that is because we're in end time prophecy in Zechariah and we've just finished with the, the tribulation in verses 2 through 5 and now we are moving into the millennium and behind us is all of this and but it 's not behind Zechariah and it 's not behind the Jews who are in the land at the time um, so let's let's uh, we've taken a quick look at that let's begin our passage here. I wanted to get I really plan to get to verse six here, so I'm going to do that but let 's begin the passage realizing that the timing for these verses again comes at the end of the tribulation and is at the very beginning of the millennium and you'll notice that as as Zechariah makes this transition he transitions from the third person to the to the first person and it says i and so this is the lord jesus christ i will strengthen the house of judah and i will save or deliver is a better word the house of joseph i will bring them back And the word there for bringing back is the word shuv. It's the Hebrew word shuv and it's very often used for return. But we're going to see it can be used in two senses. One, to repent spiritually or number two, to physically return. So I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. I think most translations or some have mercy, but a better translation is compassion. I will have compassion on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside. I had not rejected them, not discarded them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will hear them. And the word hear is not the best translation because we might think that it's Shema, but it's not, it's anah and it means to answer. I will answer them or I will respond to them. All right, here in verse, okay, Zechariah 10.6, the Lord promises to regather Israel. First of all, the Hebrew poetry that we have here, we're not surprised to see these two different titles, the two different titles or the two different names for Israel because we see him in parts and the word of God does that very often uh, this is also done in poetry because it's given to us in two lines and the poetry here is going to be synonymous parallelism so we're back in Zechariah I better get back there verse 6 it says I will strengthen the house of Judah I will deliver the house of Joseph Hebrew poetry this is synonymous parallelism and we're going to see as we always see it in uh he well in this hebrew uh this part at least that uh there's going to be a uh, a strengthening or uh a further definition of what we have um therefore the use of synonymous parallelism shows the emphasis as well as the detail We have an emphasis on Israel. We have an emphasis on the two different uh, parts of Israel. Secondly, Zechariah here uses Judah and Joseph, which gives us the detail to tell us that we're going to have a monarchy. Zechariah is describing all of Israel, not just Judah. And this is important because at the time, the two nations were still divided. Even though they were destroyed. In other words, Judas still kind of considers themselves just the southern part of the nation. And the northern part was mostly Samaria and then other parts as well because they were divided. But in the future under the Messiah, the nation is going to be a united monarchy. So we have Judah and we have Joseph. Joseph representing the northern kingdom. Thirdly, Joseph here is a poetic way to describe the northern kingdom that's how we get Joseph here because it's covering two tribes Ephraim and Manasseh and Ephraim was very often used for the northern kingdom Um, fourth the nation will be mighty in warfare and be delivered from the attack of the antichrist again this is in the future that's what we have described here The nation, and this is how we should understand these two verbs, are going to be made mighty in warfare, and they're going to be delivered from the attack of the Antichrist. And we saw that in verses 2 through 5, and it's just simply continuing to be expressed here. Fifth, the fifth point we would say from this verse, verse 6, the Lord says that he would return Israel. And the Hebrew word here, as I said, is the word shuv. The Hebrew word shuv can be used in two different ways. One, for the nation repenting, or we would very often say that they are recognizing their failures and uh, they are returning to obedience, and then for regathering. And where we find this Uh, very evidently is in Deuteronomy 30 turn to Deuteronomy 30 this is a great passage we've seen it many times but the reason we've seen it many times is because it's very instructional Deuteronomy 30 beginning in verse 1 and the reason we're coming here is I, I want to see how the verb the Hebrew verb shuv is used And I'll point it out to you. Verse 1. Now it shall come to pass when all these things have come upon you, the blessings and the cursings. And the cursing here is the exile. This is exactly where we find ourselves in Zechariah. Zechariah could be standing there in front of them saying, let's just read Deuteronomy 30 verse 1. That's where we'll start. Now it shall come to pass when all these things shall come upon you, the blessings and the cursings. And that has been listed for them in Deuteronomy 28. Moses lists those, and then he comes to chapter 30, and he says, okay, now when all those things have occurred, which I have set before you, I, Moses, have set before you, and you call them, and the word there really is turn them over in your mind, among all the nations where the Lord your God disperses you, drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. The word there for return is shuv. That's how Moses uses the word. And when he says here, return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, that's what we would call, or the Bible very often calls, repentance. Return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart, with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back. And the word there for bring you back is return you, cause you to return, and that's the word shuv. So Moses uses the word shuv, which is simply the word to turn or to return. He uses it both ways here. It's used both for a return to faithfulness, a return to obedience, or, which is spiritual, or it can be used in the physical way. And and look at this. Verse 3 says that the Lord, your God, and a better translation is, will cause you to return from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. Now, as I said, Zechariah could be standing there reading this to him or expressing the same thing, and the prophecy is we're going to return you from all of the nations. Well, Babylon is not all of the nations. So, it was future in Moses' day because he was saying there's going to come a time when you're disobedient and... You are going to be uh, the nation destroyed, and you're going to be taken captive into the uh, into the foreign nations and Babylon particularly, and then you're going to re- be returned, and you return from all of the nations where you've gone. Well, they have in fact been exiles, but they haven't returned from all the nations where they were scattered. So that part of this is still future because they haven't been returned from all of the nations where God had scattered them. Uh, It says, if any of you are driven out to the furthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will take you back. So that part is still future and Zechariah is actually repeating that. I think that's a wonderful thing for us to understand as we kind of try to place ourselves both in what Moses was saying, what Zechariah is saying, and the fact that the return at the end of the tribulation and in the millennium is yet future. Point six. In the context of Zechariah 10, the nation has already returned to obedience. They've already returned to obedience, meaning... Zechariah is giving prophecy about the millennium, and the nation that he is addressing now has already returned to obedience, so our return here is only going to be the physical part, because they've already returned. Israel has already returned to obedience. The nation that Zechariah 10 is describing, not the ones he's addressing, but the ones he's describing. Point seven here, the Lord extends compassion to them as a redeemed nation. That's who the compassion and, or some texts say mercy, that's how that's working. So the Lord is extending compassion to Israel as a redeemed nation in the millennium. Not the exiles that are standing before Zechariah. He's still addressing them. He's still talking to them, telling them that they need to be a They need to return to obedience. Eight point eight here. Israel as a redeemed nation calls upon the Lord and he answers. As a redeemed nation, they will call on him and he'll answer them. What does that mean? That means that the, the nation is redeemed and now they call on him and he answers them. He's going to deliver them. So the reason I make that point is that we can't be talking about that historical nation because the Lord isn't going to deliver them yet. He's not going to regather them yet. That is all still distant. The nation that is hearing Zechariah's words are not redeemed and they are not delivered. They have not been returned. But The nation that he is describing in the millennium will be redeemed. They simply need to call, and they will be returned. He's going to answer them. Um, Verse seven. Let me move on. No point nine here. Got another point. The major part of this response was found in Zechariah ten thirty three through five, because that's when the Lord returns and destroys the antichrist, so that now they can be delivered. But the regathering is also included in this call and response. So this is how this is what Zechariah is facing, and this is what he's saying. Okay, let's look at uh, verse seven now. Verse seven says, "Those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their heart shall rejoice as if with wine. As if, uh, as if with wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad." Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. Now you'll remember, we just read in, in Deuteronomy 30 about children responding as well. Children seeing this, you'll return with your children. So Zechariah is, uh, is prophesying in somewhat that same vein. Um, first of all, Zechariah uses Ephraim here, I believe, to refer to the entire nation of Israel. Uh, he's referring to the entire nation of Israel because back in Zechariah, he says, those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man and their hearts shall rejoice as if with wine. Yes, their children shall see, see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. That's not just the northern kingdom. That's the southern kingdom as well. Now, there are some who would say, well, he used Judah for the most part up in verse three, and now he's using Ephraim here, and that's what kind of uh, merges the two together. That's what bonds them together. Uh, I think he he kind of uses them both for the nation as a whole, because when this prophecy is fulfilled, uh, the nation will be regathered as a whole. Secondly, the use of wine has a twofold significance here. He says those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man by the way the word there gabor is used for warriors uh, strong mighty and their heart shall rejoice shall be glad as if with wine and the use of wine here I think has a twofold significance first of all it's a reference to joy and to merriment reference to joy and merriment wine is said to make the person merry as a matter of fact Psalm one hundred five Psalm one hundred five Verse one hundred four. One hundred and four verse fifteen says and wine that makes glad the heart of man uh, I gotta start in verse fourteen. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man. In order that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his faith shine and bread which strengthens the man's heart, so wine here makes glad the heart of man for some that may be one might want to make that your life verse but uh, so we have first of all this wine is was known to bring joy or merriment, but secondly. In Psalm 104, that passage is describing God's blessing, prosperity. And so it also means prosperity. And I think that that's what this is. Those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, uh, strong, warriors, and their hearts shall rejoice as if with wine. Why? Well, first of all, there is happiness or merriment there, joy. But secondly, there is also Prosperity or blessing. So wine is often used for prosperity. God is going to bless Israel in the land and the land is going to be prosperous. Um, turn back just a few books to the book of Amos. Amos comes right after Joel, which comes right after Hosea. So we have Amos 9 in Amos 9 In Amos 9 verse 13 Amos 9:13 Amos is describing the prosperity in the land of Israel during the millennium and he says behold the days are coming says the Lord this is Amos doing the same thing that Zechariah is saying When the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. In other words, the if we had a division of labor, when the season comes around for plowing and preparing the land, those who are reaping from the harvest haven't finished yet. It's too much. They can't get it out of the fields. And the guy with the plow stand there saying, "When are you guys going to get done here? We got to replow and replant for next for the next harvest." I says, "Well, there's just too much here to harvest, and even if we could harvest, we don't have any place to put it." So the mountain shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. So that's how we describe prosperity here. Four or third at the time of Zechariah's prophecy, there was no rejoicing or gladness in the land and the children did not see any hope for the future. There's no hope here. Uh, They are just barely back in the land. There's famine. There's uh, not much to eat. The harvest is not coming through very well. They're not happy at the time. They didn't see a future. They don't see any prospect for happiness. So this is the millennium and this is after they return to to uh obedience and then fourth in the future God would provide the basis for much joy and blessing and that's what verse 7 is telling us all right well I wanted to to get through to verse 12 but I took too much time talking about that fabulous book Daniel and uh, also covering a little bit about uh The, uh, the end time and how we see that and how these, uh, how this fits together. We'll come back next week. We'll be back next week. But we have an opportunity next week, uh, to have a missionary come and talk to us and that's Olga Zaitseva from Russia. A foreigner. Uh, Marina will be happy to see her uh, but uh, Marina Zaitseva is back in the United States right now she is uh, over in Maryland but next week she's going to be in Virginia and uh, we asked her if she would be available on Wednesday night and she said yes and that she would very much like to come and speak to us and tell us what's happening in her uh, her ministry so next week we hope to do that Scott is going to boycott it. I think uh, he might not be able to be here uh, because he has to has some responsibilities. but uh, what we'd like to do is uh, announce that on Sunday as well, and therefore uh, others in the congregation that would like to come and hear uh, about olga 's ministry in uh, russia then they'll be able to do that so that's something we're planning next week um, and I look forward to to uh, to having Uh, Olga here. We pray for her, uh, we think about her, and uh, next week she'll be able to be here and tell us about those guys in uh, Russia uh, uh, and what they're doing. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the truth of the Word of God, and we pray that God the Holy Spirit would guide us so that we have truly a fix on uh, the timing and the context here, and, Father, what is so refreshing and uh, uh, reassuring for us is that we can see prophecies as they unfold and as they come true. Uh, many in the Old Testament have uh, f- uh, come true. And we can see that uh, the prediction for for the, the Messiah, your Son, uh, coming and going to the cross. Uh, and, and therefore, Father, we know that these other prophecies... Father, we can lock them in the bank. They're as good as gold. We know that they are going to occur as well. And we see in all of this your faithfulness to Israel, uh, your love for them and your devotion for them, even though they are disobedient. Uh, you have not cast them aside. They are still very much part of your plan. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, human history really revolves around him. Uh, The Jews and Israel and Father we pray that we would learn from this that those who are obedient are blessed and those Father who are unfaithful uh, come under your uh, righteous just uh, rewards which is discipline Uh, Father in our lives and in our nation we pray that we would be that we would uh, act in a godly way that we would make righteous decisions uh, those that are uh, uh, fall in line with establishment principles principles that we find from the word of God so that we might be blessed we're thankful that Olga is back in the country we prayed for her as she goes about uh, reports that she's giving in these churches we pray that they would be a blessing to her and to their churches and for us as well uh, in, in a week from now we ask this in Jesus name amen